It's so good to be with you this morning. Hey, if you got your scripture in front of you, I invite you to turn to Luke. Book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third gospel, chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We're going to read from, uh, read together verse 1 to 11. If, uh, if you don't have your scripture with you, it'll be up front on the screens in a little bit, but we're just going to start by reading this with each other this morning. Luke chapter 10, y'all there? Y'all ready? Y'all with me this morning? Yep, good. Don't fall asleep yet. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Wherever the ho- whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into his streets and say, even the dust of your towns that clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Will you pray with me? Father, as we go before you this morning, we just lift up our time. Lord, we, even in this moment, just remember those who can't be here this morning, those who are sick and can't be here. Lord, we just ask for their healing. Lord, I recognize in this, uh, in this church even now, there's relationships that need to be restored. There's people that are sick that need your healing, both physically, emotionally. Lord, bring your healing touch in this place this morning. Father, I think of uh, globally, um, not only our missionaries that are all over the world, that you would guide them, that you would direct them, that you would keep them safe, that you would embolden them in their mission and their passion for you and your gospel. Lord, we pray for the people of Indonesia. We pray for the people of Haiti that just experienced an earthquake overnight. We pray for the people in the southern part of our country still dealing with what happened with the hurricane. Lord, uh, for all this, sometimes it feels like it's all too much, but we know that it's nothing for you, the creator of everything, the one who holds it all in your hands. Lord, we know that you'll hear those that cry out to you. Lord, for every person that cries out to you in their heart or in their mouth this morning, we just ask that your peace and strength would come upon them. Finally, Lord, as we go to your word this morning, I would pray that you would guide me, that all that I say and do would be your words, not my own, and that the ears, the hearts, the very lives of those that are gathered here 
would receive what you have to say and that you, Lord, through the power of your spirit, would put it into action in their lives so that we would be changed, looking more and more like Jesus because we were gathered together here today. For all this and so much more, we lift it up to you, our King of kings, our Lord of lords, our cornerstone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you haven't been here, we're in the fourth week, the fourth week of this series called The Making of a Disciple. We're talking about discipleship, making disciples, what this all means. And I shared each and every week that we talked about uh, this, this uh, quote that I came across a few years ago that really kind of helped put discipleship into context. And, and frankly, as you, you need to know this as your pastor, it really changed the way that I, I feel that God's called me to lead a church. And that's the truth. Because this quote very simply says, if you make disciples, you always get the church. But if you make a church, you rarely get disciples. And my fear is that as a church, as a church globally, as a church nationally, we focus so much on church, doing church, you know, making sure we have the programs, the budgets, all those things right. And we've lost sight of really what our mission is, which is to make disciples who make disciples. And the church what we call the church will, will be the natural outcome of that. And so we want to be a church. I hope that you want to be a church, that we're, we have a culture where making disciples, being a culture of disciple makers is where we pursue because that's what Jesus has called us to do. And discipleship isn't this thing that happens immediately, though you do become a disciple or a follower of Jesus. The, the moment that you receive Christ into your heart as Lord and Savior of your life, but it's an ongoing process we know this, that it's, you don't just arrive, you know, I shared many times, salvation is just the kickoff. It is not the end zone. We have a process in our lives, and this, this process of discipleship, uh, from this quote, is, is really helpful to me. It's the process of moving from unbelief to belief about what is true of God and the gospel in absolutely, area, every, absolutely every area of life. And for those of you that have been believers a long time, you know this is true. You believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You invited him into your heart. He became Lord of your life. But if you're honest, at that point, you hadn't surrendered everything to him. At that point, you hadn't moved to a place in your heart and in your life and in your mind where you realized that everything that he said, every teaching he said, every word that he said is, being some, is something that is, you're called to align your heart and life with. And it's a process. It's a process of the Holy Spirit at work in your heart and your life. And so we're pursuing what it means to be disciples. And Matthew 28 is called the Great Commission. It's very clear to us what this call, what this charge from God through Jesus has given us, right? It's the call to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, we're not alone. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's a call to make disciples. You know, it's funny. Uh, I don't know why, but in this series, I've been led to share two stories about my dad. I shared one on the first week, and I want to share one with you today. Um, I was probably 12 years old, and my dad and I decided that for the first day of fishing season, we were going to go someplace new. Okay, so we decided this, this lake nearby, Lake Rowena, was uh, this, this really awesome lake, and 
my dad had heard word through the grapevine, I don't know how, you know, fishermen talk, and sometimes it's not all true, but this time it was, and, and uh, that this, this lake was going to be stocked with trout for the first day of trout season, and we were excited, and my dad really wanted me to uh, have a great experience, I think, fishing, and I remember uh, this, this particular, particular year um, was the first year, do we have any fishermen in, in, in anybody? This was like three of you? Oh, okay, there's more. Okay, so my dad had gotten me, you know, the reel with the push button that you like begin with? You know, this was the first year that I had a real reel. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so he put a weight on the end of the line, and I remember being in the church parking lot practicing casting, because like the last thing I wanted to do was mess up on the first cast on the first day of this trout season. And so I was out there every day, you know, casting, getting ready to get ready for this day. So we show up to this lake, and there are so many people there, guys. I'm not even kidding you. We are shoulder to shoulder standing around this lake. It was ridiculous. And so I don't remember exactly how it happened, but in my mind anyway, this is how I remember it, that like as soon as, you know, the sun crested over the hill, um, uh, like somebody blew an air horn or something, and so I was like, oh yeah, let's fish, right? I mean, this is probably not how it happened, but this is how I remember it, and I just remember, so I went back, and I, I hit a cast, and I threw a cast, and it was beautiful, like at least for me, in my memory, years later, it was beautiful. It was the best cast I ever casted in my life, and it went out there, and, and I saw the bobber out there, and it was just amazing, and then the very next thing, Splash! Right next to my bobber goes my dad's cast, except it wasn't a bo- there wasn't a bobber on it. There was a, the only thing that was on the other end of his line was a fishing hat. I swear to you. It was, you know, like one of those like circle hats with like all the lures in it, lay, laying right there in the lake next to where my dad was, or where, where my bobber was. And I looked over at my dad, and he's like, he drops, his, he drops his pole, and he's like talking to this man. And it turns out that when my dad went to cast, he caught some dude's hat that was walking behind him, and it ripped off his head, and he threw it all the way into the pond. Isn't that amazing? I'll never forget it. My dad was so apologetic, and this guy was like, I wasn't paying attention, you know? But this is what happened to, with uh, my memory of, of fishing at Lake Arena. I don't even remember if we caught fish after that. I just remember that part of it. The point of me telling you this story is that's not what Jesus meant when he said, go make fishers of men. This is, this is not what he was talking about. He wasn't actually talking about catching people that way. In fact, in Jesus' day, they fished very differently than a rod. They did. They used something like this, like a big net, a big drag net. And what, you, what we need to understand, because this is what Jesus is asking us to do in Matthew 28, is that it was a group of people on a boat, and if you don't know this, they would throw this net out, and it was drag net fishing. So they would let it sink down, and then they would all be together on the side of the boat pulling this net in. And when they brought the net onto the boat, believe it or not, it wasn't just fish in there. And it wasn't just the fish they were looking for. There was, there was some fish that were too small to catch, and there was debris from, from the, wherever they were fishing. So there was, you know, seaweed or whatever it would be in there, and they had to pick it out. And it was the job of a fisherman. In fact, most fishermen had to be get really good because you needed to do this over and over and over again, and you needed to do it quickly. They developed a keen eye to be able to see what it was that they wanted to catch, what it was they were trying to catch, and quickly separate that and throw the rest of the debris back into the water. 
And this was a quick thing that they did, and as, as you can imagine, with anything else you do, they got very quick at discerning what the right fish were and to do this over and over again. And here's the thing we need to know, too, is the fishermen, they never expected that, like, they throw their net out, and, like, all the right fish, all the perfect, perfect fish would just jump in. You know what I mean? They weren't like, here it goes, fish, come on. You know, they had no expectation. They had to work for it and they had to try to figure out and they had to do it over and over and over again until they caught the right fish. Well, they were also discerning whether or not the fish were the right ones and picking them out. And the more they did it, the more proficient they got at it. And they were able to catch more and more fish. And that's important for us because as we think about being disciples, as we think about God's call to be disciple makers, as we call, think about God's commission to us to make fi- be fishers of men, fishers of people, we have to be the type of people that are able to discern who God is asking us to catch in every given moment, and we need to be able to continually cast that net out realizing that we can't just the first time we cast it out say, okay, all you non-believers, hop in, my, hop in my net, right? So I can catch you. No, it's an ongoing process. It's something we have to do over and over again to become more proficient at it. And it's a process of actually being able to discern who God has put in our life to reach them so that we need 15 vases up here filled with white flowers because that's what God's called each and every one of us to And Jesus modeled this in his ministry. As we've been talking about this making of a disciple, we've been using Jesus as our lens, which I think is a good thing because we're disciples of him, right? This lens of Jesus, of what relationships he pursued in his life as he lived out his life. And as disciples of him, we should be pursuing those same relationships. So the the second week, we talked about the fact that Jesus had a life with God. Remember? We shared that and we talked about how everything Jesus did flowed from that. He would go away to secret places and he would pray to God and he would spend time with God in every decision, every ministry. In fact, there was times where after he did a big ministry, like he, you know, he fed 5,000 people, maybe even more. So this is 5,000 men. When he fed them, what did he do right after that? He went alone, went alone, went to be alone and spend time with God. He spent his life with God. His whole ministry flowed from that. We talked about last week about how he did life together with other people, other believers, other followers, and he spent time with them and spent fellowship with them. I'm not going to preach it again. Go back and listen to it. This was a key relationship that Jesus had in his life, and as disciples, that's a key relationship in our life. But we also need to realize that Jesus also spent a lot of time living his life on mission. Is there any question as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that as soon as Jesus was baptized that he just went and he knew what, Je- he knew what the Lord had called him to and he was on purpose about what he did. And he went to people and he was out among people and he was constantly with those people that many of the, re- many of the religious people did not hang out with. And his heart was to reach them. He went along and he preached the kingdom of God and he healed the sick people and he challenged injustices in the culture. He challenged them. He made a lot of people upset so much that they tried to stone him. Sometimes they wanted to throw him off a cliff. You know, it's not like everybody loved him. No, he healed people. But what he did is he revealed the love of the father to the entire world wherever he went. He lived his life with this clear mission. Yes, his mission was to come and pay the ransom for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins and to die on a cross 
and to die and then three days later rise again. Be the the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for the whole world, for all the sins, so whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. But that wasn't his only purpose. He showed us in the in-between how to live a life on mission and to bring the kingdom of God to the world. And if we're his followers, if we are his disciples, we have to do the same thing. This has to be a relationship we pursue. I don't see how we have any other choice. And here's the thing. I've talked about this before, but here's here's why this is so important. I think you know this, but in the past, in the past, especially, you know, 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, non-believers, people that were far from Christ, they would consider this place the place to come to have their spiritual questions answered. They would. They would consider this to be the place they would come. And so as a church, you know what we could do? We could do things that were attractional so that they would come. And once they came, then we could share Jesus with them. That's the way it was. That's the way it would be. But I don't know if you realize this, especially since what happened in 9-11, and I don't know why, but theologians have pointed to 9-11 probably because of the new atheist movement and the skepticism about religion. But since 9-11, there has been a huge cultural shift in our country. And atheists and non-believers and people that are skeptical of the church will never walk through these doors unless they have a relationship with you beforehand. No matter how fast, how big, how flashy, no matter how good I preach, they're not coming. They don't care. They don't consider this to be the place where their questions are answered. Today, we are in a culture where there's no shared moral code anymore. Is this news to you? There's no shared moral code. There's no one way to do things. And there's no childhood exposure to church. I don't know if I've shared this with you before, but right now, the children being born are the first generation since we started measuring this in our country that don't have grandparents that were Christians or at least church churchgoers. Do you understand what I'm saying when I say that? Because many of us, even some of the kids that are in this room right now, uh, or maybe some, even you, if your parents didn't go to church, you had grandparents that loved Jesus that tried to introduce you to Jesus whenever they had an opportunity. But we're in a season of this world right now where grandparents didn't even grow up in church. This is why we're pursuing Orange Curriculum, by the way, because it's something that equips parents to disciple their kids because we're going to have parents, hopefully, coming to this church that have never been to church before. And how can we teach them and their kids to follow Jesus if we don't teach them how to teach their kids Monday through Saturday? And that's why we need you to help out with that. Just a quick plug. But it's, the reason we have to even do that is because we can't do church the way we used to. Culture has changed and our methods have to change. People are coming here. So we have to more than ever be like Jesus that goes out there. That realizes that today, Sunday, that realizes when you get together with your small group, that realizes every context where you spend time with your church family is a time for you to pursue a life up with God and a life together so that you could be built up because your mission is Monday through Saturday. Your mission is out there because they're never going to come here unless they first meet you. It's just the way it is. It's where we've moved as a culture. And evangelism scares us, doesn't it? 
The idea of living our life on mission, trying to do this, is it scary? Because I don't know about you, but like when I was growing up, and probably until recently, like this is the picture of somebody said our church does evangelism well. Like either they send people out on a corner with a bullhorn that screams that everybody's going to hell, right? And who doesn't want to go to church with that guy? <laughs> or they, they trained you to go out and knock on people's doors and ask them, if, if you died tonight, do you know where you would go? Do you know where you'd go? What would God say to you, right? And what we're seeing as a church, I'm just sharing with you because I study these things because I'm passionate about reaching lost people for Jesus. What we're seeing is those things don't work anymore. But I still think Jesus' way works. I still think what Jesus is asking us to do works. I still think what we see in Luke 10 will work because it's his strategy. He wants us to make a connection to people and to families living an intentional life on mission and inviting them to come to know him as Lord. So let's go back there to Luke 10. Let's go back to Luke 10 and just look at this a little bit as we go along this morning for the rest of our time. Luke tells us that after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. It's interesting, the word, the 72, though, though I think Jesus sent literally 72 people out, also is the number of nations that the, that the Israelites thought existed in the world at the time. And so God, through Jesus Christ sending 72 out, is possibly also telling us that like this mission is to every nation, to every person, whether it's Gentile or Jew. We're sending you out to every person you come along, uh, come across on this mission. He sent them out two by two. They weren't alone, and he said to him, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You see what, we, we, we read this, I'm sure some of you, if you grew up in church, you've read this many times, but, but see the urgency in that passage? Like the harvest is ready to be harvested. Who's a farmer? What happens if you don't harvest it when it's ready? It, it goes bad. You missed it. And it says, not, not only is it plentiful, not only are there tons of people out there to reach, but, but Jesus asks the disciples to pray earnestly. That's a, that's a language where it's really on your face. Praying to God, would you please send more and more people out because there are people perishing and he wants us. And the Lord of the harvest, that means God's already working ahead on the hearts and the lives of people. God's already turning people's hearts towards him, but he needs laborers to go out and reach them. He goes on. And he tells them how to do that. How we go out. If you want to be one of these laborers as part of the harvest, which, by the way, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's kind of part of your, you know, part of the deal. The moment of, there's no, there's no, ah, that's not part of what I do. No, to be a disciple, this is what we're called to do. And he says, behold, I'm sending you out as lambs amongst wolves. This is going to be a dangerous mission. Not everybody's going to like what you have to say. You're going to be defenseless. You're going to be weak. And he tells them, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one along the road. He tells them to go out basically unprepared so that they realize. And so we realize as we're going out as laborers, as we're going out into a world that may be dangerous, that we're supposed to rely only on God. 
and that we're going to be stripped away of all of those things we may, we may rely on, but our focus is only on him because this is his mission and he is the one to take us. These things, no knapsack, no money bag, no sandals, these are also the way that priests would travel from town to town. They would travel from town to town, and this was a way that people knew that they were priests. And, and then the people would, would tend to the needs of the priests, of the Levitical priests, because they didn't carry anything with them. And so there's a way in which the Lord is saying to all those that would go out that, that you're like a priest. And, you know, in, in Hebrews we see that we're a royal priesthood. And we're going to be in this intentional mission, this urgent mission, because the harvest is plentiful. And that we have to rely fully on God as we do it. And he says, whatever house you enter, this is what happens. So we've prepared for that journey. Now we're going to go. And when you enter a house, you say, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. We're going to talk about this in a little bit, but I want to continue going through the passage. This is key, though. We bring the Lord's peace. And if a son of peace, a person of peace is there, they will receive you. And he goes on and he says, if this person is a person of peace, a son of peace, remain in that house. Eat, drink with what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. There's a picture for what Jesus says, which isn't this this idea of like a bullhorn or this this idea of, of, you know, spreading the gospel to tons of people. He says, no, if you enter into a house and that person receives you, that you remain there that you pursue life together with them. You spend time with them. You don't go from house to house. That you realize this person's moving towards you. They're a person of peace. And whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Do you recognize that the fact that the Holy Spirit living inside of you, that God's very presence inside of you, and that as a disciple of Jesus, a citizen of the kingdom of God, before you're a citizen of America, is going with you wherever you go. And that when you are entering into a person's life, that you are literally bringing the presence of the kingdom of God with you. Folks, that should blow your mind. That should enable you to have so much empowerment to think about what Jesus is asking us to do as disciples. That if you're operating in his power and presence, the kingdom of God is come near to people when you come near to them. But he goes on, he says, whenever you enter a town and they don't receive you, go, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to her feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near It's interesting. I think this can kind of push up against us because what Jesus is saying is that this harvest is prepared. And it's it's this it's a big deal. It's timely, and we need to be praying earnestly that more and more laborers, that we would we would realize that God's called us to this life on mission, and we're gonna go into a place, into places that are scary, into places that are tough, and we're gonna be entering into those places with only a reliance on God alone. And as we go into those places, we're looking for people that are open to the message that we are bringing to them. And if they're not open, we don't waste our time with them at that point. That doesn't sound very Christian, does it? It doesn't. But that's what the scripture says. Because God has prepared ahead of time people that are ready. These people are sons of peace or 
people of peace, persons of peace. This is important. This is important as we live our life on mission. This is where I'm going to challenge you to live out what we're learning today in your life. Because what God is saying is that part of this harvest is people that he's prepared ahead of time. And who is a person of peace in your life? Who is the person that God's prepared ahead of time? It's probably a person that likes being around you. Yeah, they actually like being around you. It could be somebody who actually wants to do what you're doing. They just serve you. Maybe it's a neighbor or maybe it's a coworker, and they're far from God, but they like being around you. They're always asking what you need. They're moving towards you. They're interested in you. They seek you out. They seek you out and they, they want to be friends with you or they, they want to hear from you. Have you. Do you have anybody in your life right now that, that's this type of person? Do you, have any, do you have any friends? Do you have any coworkers? Do you have any neighbors? Do you have any classmates that ask you spiritual questions? Like, hey, you're religious. I love that, right? Hey, you're religious. Answer me this, right? That's a person of peace. That's somebody who God has said he's already working ahead. And here's my prayer each and every day. And I want to challenge you this week. This is, this is your prayer. To pray every single day. This is a dangerous prayer, by the way. Just know that ahead of time. It's a dangerous prayer. Lord, bring into my path today a person of peace and give me the grace to speak your words to this person. Because I am a fisher of men. I want to daily cast my net out. And I want to bring it in. And I want God to put the right fish in there. And I want to develop in my own life, my life on mission as his disciple, the ability to discern who is the right person And to be able to separate the rest and throw away those things that are not open, but be able to find that person and that their heart would be open to what God wants me to say to them as I witness to them about the Lord, as I bring the kingdom of God into their life. Is this making sense to you? This is what Jesus is asking us to do. But if they're not a person of peace, I just shake my my feet or the dust off my feet and I move on. And what we need to understand about this prayer This prayer right here is taking God's word seriously. It's believing with all our heart and our life that the Holy Spirit is ahead of us, working, and God is calling people to himself. Do we not believe that? Do we not believe that those people that live live down the street, do we not believe that those people that work in the next cubicle, do we not believe that that person that's checking our groceries out, Do we not believe that that person that sits across from us in class, do we not believe that God came, died, and rose again for them too? And that if they don't know him, that he is calling them to himself. And do we not realize that as his disciples, he's sending us out? And we are to pray, Lord, bring them to my path. Give me the ability to see as you see. And recognize who they are. And Lord, please give me the grace and the ability to say what you want to say. Because it's going to come out like Elmer Fudd otherwise. Right? It's a big deal. But this is what Jesus is asking us to do. And the Holy Spirit's, the Holy Spirit's working ahead. We need to ask God to give us the spiritual eyes to see what he's asking us to do. As we pursue a life on mission. God's already at work, folks. God's already at work in the people in your lives. And if you're saying right now, I don't know anybody who's not a Christian, I'm lovingly gonna say to you, as a disciple of Jesus, you should. Because God, God's mission in this world and his purposes of 
carrying out his mission in this world is through us. Is through us. And so God's asking us as we live a life on mission, who are the people of peace in your life? Are you looking for them? Because disciples pursue a life on mission. That's what we're called to do. So I want to give you a little bit of help in the rest of our time this morning as far as where where you can look for these people. If you don't know, okay, well, who's my people of peace? Who's the person that I can move towards in my life? The first one is your networks. Your networks, okay? Your networks of people. Some of you, you coach, you coach sports or your kids are involved in sports and you spend hours and hours standing on the sideline next to people that are parents. That's a network. Those are people that are in your life that wouldn't be in your life if your kids weren't in the same sport, weren't in dance, weren't in those places together. They just wouldn't be. Could be the parents that are classmates of yours. They could be people that are the people that are part of the same card club or you know whatever it is that you do. People that may not necessarily go to church, but people that are in your daily life that are part of your life that are involved in the same things you are. These are your networks, kids. These are the people that are in your school that are on your sports teams, that you spend a lot of time with, that are involved in the same activities you are, but maybe they won't really ever be your friends or they're not the people that are in your classes and you have never really hung out with them. They're still within your network. That's a place to look. People in your workplace, the people that you talk for like, you know, three seconds each and every day at the water cooler, those are people within your networks of life. Are you looking to see if those people are people of peace? Are you actually asking the Lord, if that person doesn't know you, how do you want to use me? If you're not, you should be. That's what God's calling us to do as disciples. Our neighborhoods. This is hard. Oh my goodness, this is hard. Especially in neighborhoods where people have automatic garage doors. <laughs> right? It took us three months to meet our neighbors this summer because it was so stinking hot that nobody wanted to be outside. And so everybody wanted to pull into their driveway, open their garage door, go in, and close the garage door behind them so that the sun wouldn't get them because we're all vampires right? It's really hard. But what if there's a mom that lives across the street who's struggling to raise her kids and doesn't know Jesus, and the dad's working all the time, and she's wondering, does anybody notice how crazy my life is? Lord, do you even exist out there? And you who have a fountain of knowledge, the kingdom of God resides in your heart and life, is sitting right across the street reading a book. That's just that, that gets me worked up. What if there's kids that are just, that are dying to know if there's something more than the brokenness in their family and they're three doors down? And we're there, knowing Jesus, following Jesus, and they're wondering if he even exists. And God's like, I put somebody two doors down from you to point out to you who I am. Our neighborhoods, Do you see your neighborhood as your mission field? God's calling you to do that. There could be people of peace in your neighborhood right now that are open to hear what God wants to say through you. And also the needs. Networks, our networks, our neighborhoods, and our needs. Do you you know that it's not hard if you try to look look in our community for where there are people in need? Where there are people that need the gospel, where the people need to realize that the people of God actually want to serve them before we tell them about Jesus. And if you would enter into those places of need and be someone who is intentionally looking for the people that come or the people that engage 
those needs or families that are in need that you can take to them, even if the organization you work for doesn't, you are representing Jesus when you are there and you can take to them the good news of Jesus Christ if you are looking for a person of peace. Folks, I know this isn't easy. I know for you, if I was, if I was you sitting out there, I would know that me preaching this sermon feels like you're just adding one more thing to my life, pastor. But I want you to know, with all my heart, it's not meant to be easy. But as we are disciples of Jesus, not only are we called to live life with God, not only are we called to live life together as his body, but if we're going to really follow Jesus, if we're going to really live like Jesus, which is what we claim to be as disciples, then we need to realize that we have to go out there and that God's already put people in our path. And we need to take the step to see them as people of peace, as the right fish, and take the step of faith that the kingdom of God that is in you, that the Holy Spirit that is in you is going to give you the words to minister to them and to reach them for Jesus. And this definition of discipleship comes very, very, is very, very important in this process. It's moving from unbelief to belief. I think one of the things that gets us tripped up as Christians is that we, we believe that we need to go with, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? And that's the very first thing we need to say. And they're like, oh my goodness. You know, we, we want to have them. But if we understand that it's a process from moving to unbelief, from unbelief to belief, do you realize that there are things that people of peace in your life cannot believe about Jesus or Christians that you could help them learn and live out even before they come to make him Savior and Lord. It's called pre-conversion evangelism, to give you the fancy name. So as you think about the people of peace in your life, if you were to ask the question, okay, what do they not believe about God? What do they not believe about the truth of the gospel? And God, how can I speak into their heart and life today about that and start to disciple them before they even before they even give their life to Jesus Christ. Because there's probably things in their life that are outside the will of God that you could disciple them in, and then when they say, wow, this is really good, where did you get that? Jesus. (laughs) This is what my faith tells me about following him. This is what the call is for us, and we can do this together. Because disciples pursue a life on mission. We look for people of peace in our lives, and folks... I don't say this to be hyperbolic. I say this to be true. If our church is going to expand our reach and reach new people, lost people for Jesus, it's not that we're not going to try to do attractional things. It's not that we're not going to try to gather people into this building because we need to do that. But the truth is, the way our culture's moved, many people won't come unless they know you first. Many people won't come unless they have a relationship with you first. Many people won't come to hear the message of Jesus and the life-transforming power of the gospel unless they know you first. And God has put, isn't it exciting? God's put you in your workplace. You may hate your job, but God put you there for another reason maybe. God put you in your school. You may hate geometry, but God may have put you next to the person in, in your geometry class for a reason. God may have put you in that place for a reason. And the reason is is because the harvest is plentiful. And he's asking, are you ready to be a part of the harvest? Are you ready to look for the people of peace in your life? And are you willing to take a step of faith 
and reach them for me because we have the greatest news that ever was in the history of the world. The greatest news. Why wouldn't we share it with people whose lives are stuck in darkness and cycles of defeat and of sin? We get to set people free for Jesus. That's what God is calling us to do as we live a life on mission. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you the, most of all as we, we think about this and this challenging, this challenging part of our following Jesus for many of us takes us out of our comfort zone. I thank you that you're already working. That 2,000 years ago when you said it is finished, you've already set into motion through your Holy Spirit's uh, power in this world uh, your plan call people to yourself. And Lord, I thank you that you've given us your power and your strength and your wisdom as your followers to be able to be part of that plan. Lord, we believe that you're already at work in this community, in our schools, in our workplaces, in the restaurants, in the gas stations, in the places where we go every single day. And Lord, that you're inviting us to take part. Lord, I would just ask that for each person here today that has engaged this, uh, this topic, that they would uh, have come to their mind right now, a person of peace in their life, a person that doesn't know yet know you, but they are moving towards them and that they're open to conversation. And Lord, help each person that has that person in their heart and mind right now that's sitting here. Help them as they discern, Lord, where can I speak the truth of God and the truth of the gospel into their life this week? Lord, we want to be a church that lives our life together on mission. We want to reach the people that don't know you with the good news of Jesus Christ. Give us more of yourself and encourage us, Lord, as we pursue this together. As your people, as your followers. Help each person here go this week and to live for you and return next week with stories of how you showed up in the midst of their steps of faith. We praise you, Lord, and we thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a good week, and we'll see you next week uh, for the baptism service and for uh, our service. God bless you all. We'll see you then.